hello and welcome back to Fear Month on the Big Film Buffet. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and joining me as always is Jen Fricker. What are we doing on the show today? Oh my goodness. We are uh, joined by a very, very special guest. He is a wonderful human. Wow. He is the star of his own Netflix comedy special live at the Athenaeum. He is Reese Nicholson. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. It's me. I put my arms up. We've all put our arms up for no reason. We have. We're rejoicing. We're praising. I love that you fear month because why not just fear, I'd say fear 18 months. (laughs) Yeah. Is that not the world that we're living in? How lucky you are in podcast world to only have to have a month. (laughs) A month of fears. But I really want to get you on this uh, fear month special, Reese, because you are one of my absolute favourite pop culture minds that there is. And I needed to get your thoughts on this because I think Fear Street uh, is something interesting in horror because horror is something that lives in the subtext so much. Horror movies are always about something reflective of culture, reflective of society. And I think queer theory is so linked to horror because of that subtextual basis of the genre. It's fear of otherness, right? Absolutely. That's what I've always thought horror is. (laughs) But I think as well, like part of what makes Fear Street so exciting and like part of its identity is that it makes like these queer romances uh, that are usually subtextual makes them explicit and it's like right there in the forefront yeah like i cuz i've been thinking a little bit about this in the last couple of days and see i'm more of a i'm a thriller guy most of the time like i like it you know your sounds of the lands is like i'm not usually a like oh, guy i'm like a oh type of guy like oh it's him the whole time but then the more i thought about it the more i realized like how unkind thrillers are to like any thriller not every thriller but especially during the 80s and the 90s and maybe even like uh kind of noir thrillers Mm. like of ages ago they're just mainly like hey how scary are queer people (laughs) like that's essentially what they're all about like Sons of the Lambs, not great to trans people. All the kind of um, like the multi falcon I would even kind of say the thriller is like all about like hey this guy's pretty weird um, whereas horror movies, they kind of inherently have to be camp. Like Saw is camp because it has to be camp. In order for you to be okay with watching a head be chopped off or watching blood, it needs to be kind of performative. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just like, Jesus Christ, that guy's head's just been chopped off. I mean, the tiny clown on the bike is a big giveaway if something is camp or is not camp. <laughs> That's a queer icon, that puppet on the tricycle. <laughs> The Babadook. There you go. The true queer icon. Truly. And I think as well, like, that's so on point of, like, why I think they're, like, wrapped up together. He's like, it is that campness. And you go all the way back to, like, the start of cinema, like, talkies, if you will, in the 1930s. Like, the big horror director is openly gay filmmaker James Whale, who makes Frankenstein, The Invisible Man, The Bride of Frankenstein, The Old Dark House. And if you watch those, they're an absolute absolute scream they're so camp you know when you when you're a young gay person you do kind of feel uh like a frankenstein and then you get to about your 40s as a gay man and you realize you are the invisible man does kind of come together <laughs> it's a documentary in a way it's a documentary <laughs> we will all become invisible at some point <laughs> do you have a favorite horror film race i mean it depends we haven't even brought like the rocky horror 
technically not a horror movie, but it is, if you know it. Like, it is, but it isn't. Like, yeah. it's, I mean, it's a very cliche reference to make, but I'd say that probably kind of is it. Like, it's, I remember watching Halloween. That was maybe the first horror movie I ever saw when I was maybe like 10, like the first proper one. I'd already seen the Rocky Horror. If it could give you any idea of my upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> my, and my mum fast forwarded through the rude bits, like the bedroom scenes. But it was VHS, so I still saw it. It was just fast. <laughs> but Halloween H20 was like, even by having, um, you know, talk about camp things, like uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is now like a kind of camp icon because of those things. Yeah. Like, you know, I feel like, and then Ryan Murphy kind of grabs hold of these things and just makes his, uh, I think maybe the gayest shit you're ever going to see <laughs> is like a Ryan Murphy, like American <laughs> Horror Story and stuff. But I feel like every queer person has... Like, it's just part of their aesthetic or part of their, like, vibes is that they love, like, spooky movies. There's something about it, and I I don't know why. It's probably because of the otherness thing, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think as well, like, you hit on something with, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, like, being a cultural icon for that reason. There's a reflectiveness to the final girls because they are people that start as victims and then they have to, like, find their own agency and become heroic through it and, like, basically, like, stand up to their bullies. And to me, like, that is... That's an absolute queer reading of, like, slasher films. And I think that's what we do as a group of people, and I'm only speaking for gay men when I say this, but, like, you know, our kind of... Our queer icons are usually quite tragic figures, the kind of the Judy Garlands and that kind of thing. We kind of latch onto people, especially, like, during those early eras, we relate to these people that are misunderstood and trying to do the right thing. Like, it, that's the whole story of Frankenstein, right? Like, yeah. they're misunderstood. They think he murdered the little girl. Exactly. I know we're talking about Fear Street and stuff, a lot of dead kids in these movies. I liked it. I really enjoyed them, but who boy. A lot of dead kids. One of my favourite things that happened is there's a scene where there's, like, two couples having a sex scene. Yeah. This isn't giving anything away. And then there's just one guy who just has a wank. Yes! Yes, in the first one, Fear Street 1994. And I've never related to someone more. <laughs> Everyone I know is having sex yeah. and I'm just in another room. But he is feeling himself in that yeah. moment. Oh, he loves it. And he's got painted nails and he's like looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, all right, let's make this happen. He's coming alive. I'm like, okay, this is it. This is the teen movie I've been waiting for for a long time. There's a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen this film, Reese. Um, have you ever seen uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge? No, I remember the first one made a big impact on me as a kid because the hand comes out of the lady's parts, the, her, her swimsuit area in the bath, and that, that really made quite an impact on me. But no, what's in the second? <laughs> the second one is with the nudie scene, right? Yes. This is one that I think is, like, a very key text as well when we talk about queerness and horror. It's a movie I really love, but it is... I would say bordering on no longer subtext the queerness of the film. And there's scenes where they're at a leather bar, pretty much full frontal male nudity, which is so rare for a horror film. But there's like scenes where like they're in a locker room and there's someone getting whipped on the butt by Freddy with a towel and stuff. Sorry, the killer whips someone on the butt with a towel. Yes, that is true. He's killing him with kindness. (laughs) (laughs) Or behindness, if you will. Oh, You think Freddy's a top or a bottom? Oh, Freddy's versatile, if you know what I mean. He's in your dreams. He adapts to what your desires are. (laughs) He's definitely a dom, at least. He's definitely a dom. (laughs) 
But I think as well, like with this film, it's lead instead of a final girl, it's a final boy. And so much of that is like interpreted through like this queer lens because, you know, the actor came out many years later as being gay as well. He dances and it's not like Tom Cruise in risky business. It's like he's shuffling his butt to like close drawers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's also a great documentary called Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which is from the perspective of Mark Patton, the actor of Nightmare on Elm Street 2. But part of it is like this kind of like gender study of this is someone who is a man, a young teenage boy who is very, very handsome, but they have to like play them as a victim, as someone that is vulnerable, who then has to like gain their agency. And I think that's something that where like straight audiences were not like really able to accept that as a read on these films, but it's kind of been very embraced by queer audiences now. It's that thing that I feel like if you grow up queer, you do this thing um, and there's a great documentary about it the celluloid closet which is just kind of about queer readings of just general film and just hearing gore vidal just oh. like go on about like we didn't tell charlton heston he was playing a gay man in this movie and uh, <laughs> he just worked it out himself <laughs> i think you do this thing where you you do just even before you maybe have come to terms with your queerness you're just scanning texts all mm. the time just looking for something constantly like the original rebecca is kind of a horror movie in a weird way as well so the story of Rebecca is this man um, marries a new lady, he's a widower, and he brings his new wife back and they've got this old housekeeper. It's pretty coded that she's a lesbian and was in love with Rebecca. And there's a scene in the original Rebecca where um, the older lady is showing the new wife through Rebecca's closet and she gets out, like, a pair of her underwear <laughs> and, like, is holding them and he, she, like, puts her hand and she's like, look at them, you can see right through them. It's just this weird... I'm not exaggerating the tone of this scene. I'm not exaggerating the dialogue. And it's just this scene of of the new wife going, oh. Yeah, something's up with Mrs. Danvers. Uh. And just the way that they, and they kind of make her quite matronly and quite like she doesn't have love in her life, which is kind of the understanding of what it was to be queer in those days. The trials of... Oscar Wilde is like a movie that came out in 1960 and they are, I don't know how they got away with it in 1960. They're just like, how about this rager? Like the whole movie and there's just no coding in it whatsoever. But the way that they do it, and I think they do it in a lot of horror movies as well, even if it's a period piece, they make them look like the gay men of the time, mm. like as in of now. So all the kind of young gay guys, and it's set in like the 1800s, have like, quiffed 60s like hairdresser oh, hair. We go from Gore Vidal to Vidal Sassoon in such a quick <laughs> motion. But I do, I do think also like horror movies generally have to be coded. Like you kind of have to even like scream it's queer but it's not. The idea of like a, a woman surviving at the end and being and yeah you're right like taking her agency and stuff is kind of against the norm of mm. the times and so it is inherently queer in itself of like look at this lady doing it for herself. She doesn't need a man. In fact, that man is trying to kill her. Absolutely. Be interested to know, like, uh, watching the Fear Street movies and that queerness being so overt, does that change how you enjoy these films? I think when I was younger, I was scared of horror movies and now I'm older and I'm not as, like, panicked by them. Like, I'm not like, oh, my God. It's a, it reminds me a little bit, and I mean this as a compliment, of the kind of Ryan Murphy has done this thing where by making American Horror Story and now he's making this American Horror Stories show and, like, stunt casting people like Jessica Lange and Lady Gaga and, like... This is a broad generalisation about 
queer people, but we are popular culture fiends because I think maybe we spend a bit more time alone than <laughs> other people. So to see your not just yourself, but also the culture that you love kind of represented and in a really smart way. I feel like a, a lot of horror movies are thought to be kind of silly entertainments, but they're quite deep and layered and intricate. And in order to work, having someone get murdered is not enjoyable to watch. And the pace of a horror movie is often so much smarter, I think, than, say, a comedy. Like a comedy, something funny happens and you're mm. like, ah, it was funny. Make another funny thing happen. Mm. But in order for you to be scared, it's quite a nuanced thing that has to happen. It's a pretty nuanced emotion. Mm. It's all about like gaining that reaction from the audience. I think that's where that inherent campness comes from. And it has to tap into your personality. And as a queer person, I think that's what horror movies do. Thanks so much, Reese. It's so good to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. I listen to this podcast, so it'll be weird when I listen to it. 